Welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name is Jason Barnard, and that was Colin Hare and Walking Aphrodisiac, one of my favourite tracks from one of his more recent albums, Big Hair. You may be familiar with Colin from his time in Honeybus, one of the great bands of the 1960s. Welcome, Colin. Hello there, Jason. Good to speak to you. And you. Um, can you tell me about that song in particular, Walking Aphrodisiac? Is that a, a, an older recording? Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. It's um, it was originally a BBC track called by Honeybus. So we did it in the band in probably late '68, '69. It's my song, and that's me singing. But it it was done by the band. There's been quite a few discs put out of BBC tracks. I think I found it somewhere or other. It turned up, and I thought it would be nice to put that out. So I did actually tweak it a little bit. For the um, Big Hair album, I added the strings and things. They weren't originally on it, but um, uh, yeah, that was where it came from. It's quite an old track. Which uh, year in uh, Honeybus's lifespan was that uh, recorded? Well, it would have been 
either late 68. So it would have been Jim Kelly's period, so 69, right about then. Many people may not know that you were in the last lineup of the Honeycombs, and in fact, most famous for Have I the Right, of course. You yeah. wrote and sung their their last single, That Loving Feeling? That's right, yeah. We did um, a session at Joe Mink's studio, uh, his notorious studio above the leather shop in Finchley Road, London. Um, he's quite a character, Joe Mink. He really was. And I wrote a couple of songs. I think, I think Joe actually did one song, Should a Man Cry, which I, I think was really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's the B-side, I think. Yeah, Ken Howard and Alan Blakely wrote two other songs as well. So I think in total I did about five tracks there. I mean, at that time, we were I was rehearsing with the Honeycombs, of course, and we did uh, our own version of um, California Dreaming, mm. uh, which we did in Tel Aviv, Israel, um, for a couple of months, a gig we did out there. And that song really was my it was just a slight sort of variation on that track really same kind of chord structure and harmonies and with Anne Lantry that, that drummer Honey Lantry mm. um, she had a great voice and uh, you know we, we got quite a good harmonic sound going really it wasn't anything like the original Honeycomb sound but we developed our own sound with the new uh, membership I mean Eddie Spence played keyboard and saxophone so we did a couple of soul tracks as well. So it, it, it was quite a, a different take on the original band. But nevertheless, we, we had some great fun. How did you get into that, that lineup? They were looking after Danny DL and the original rhythm guitarist and one other guy, Split, uh, and her brother, John, who was a bass player, um, were looking for a new lineup. And uh, I was working at uh, Central Sound Studios in Denmark Street uh, in those days. My manager heard they were looking and they, they actually came and auditioned me at the studio just to see what my voice was like, if I was strong enough to... Because uh, Denny Dial was quite a quite a powerful singer. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I, that's how I got into the band. We rehearsed a lot and did quite a few gigs. We did Ireland and the, the most uh, notorious one we did was in Tel Aviv, Israel for two months. Yeah where we notoriously got banged up in jail for 24 hours for being drunk and disorderly. And we made the national paper, <laughs> <laughs> which increased the cred. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it Joe Meek, Steph, that put paid to the group continuing? No, I mean, we did our own thing. Obviously, it was a great shock when Joe ended his life in the way he did. We ran our own course with quite a few gigs, and we did the stint in Tel Aviv. But once we'd come back from there, I mean, we'd had we had great fun. I mean, we had a whale of a time out there. But unfortunately, there was um, a road crash. John hired a, a hire car and smashed it up. So there was a court case going on with that, which cost us a lot of money. Which, to get us bailed out of jail cost us absolutely mega bucks. And, you know, the room service bill at the ho- damn hotel, which is like the Hilton was astronomical so when we came back we came back quite mm. disillusioned and pretty broke actually <laughs> but so yeah, we weren't back in london for very long when we kind of went our separate ways i decided i'd had enough really i've heard that you wrote uh, briefly with david bowie in that period is that true uh that would have been prior to honey cones yeah i mean i was 
based in Central Sound Studios in Denmark Street for some time. I, I used to work there doing demos and as a runner, really, just taking stuff around to publishers and what have you. And, um, yeah, I got introduced to David Bowie and we sat in, I think it was Southern Music, opposite uh, Central Sound in Denmark Street and rehearsed for an afternoon, coming up with separate, you know, several ideas. But quite frankly, I didn't, I didn't like what he was doing particularly. You know, it didn't uh, didn't do much for me, so I didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> so that, that's my um, how uh, discerning I am when it comes to uh, pop music. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, it, his stuff was just so different, and I didn't uh, didn't do anything for me. But uh, there you go. How wrong can you be? He was a nice guy, David. <laughs> It's not the way you look tonight you can be the way you hold me tight That makes me wanna stay all night Oh no It's that feeling That loving feeling This kind of feeling that I found I only get when you're around I feel as though I'm gonna drown In love with you I got Honeybus then? Well, shortly after coming back from Tel Aviv, I was walking down Denmark Street and I bumped into a guitarist friend called Graham D, who was a local by everybody knew him. And I told him I was out, out of work and looking for a band. And he said, go into Regent Sound, which was literally on the other side of the road to where we were standing. He said, in there, go and meet Pete Dello. He said, good scene. They're rehearsing right now. So I I walked straight in the studio and introduced myself. Pete looked more like a chartered accountant than a hmm. pop star, you know, with his glasses and corduroy jacket. But um, they were just rehearsing um, acoustically in there. So he said, come back next Tuesday. 
and uh, I'll meet you in the Gioconda Cafe. So I turned up at the Gioconda Cafe, which was quite a notorious cafe there. Everybody who was anybody, you know, met in there, really. And I waited for about 20 minutes, um, had a coffee, and there was no sign of them. So I thought, oh, I've had enough of bands that are just not prompt. So I got up, walked out the cafe, got my guitar sung over my back, walked across uh, Charing Cross Road, across Oxford Street. And I was in Tottenham Court Road when this voice was shouting behind me, Carl, Carl! <laughs> and it was Ray Kane. I mean, that's how close I came to not being in Honeybust, really. Anyway, we walked back to Central Sound Studios um, and they were rehearsing in some music down in a basement, which is like a little tiny little room full of boxes. We all sat on these cardboard boxes and um, they all sat there all set up ready to go. So it was just acoustic. We used to rehearse with acoustic guitars. Kershaw would just have his snare drum and brushes and hi-hats. They had a small amp and, and, and Fender bass. We started rehearsing. I mean, I can't remember the actual first song we ever did, but, you know, I immediately started putting in third-part harmonies or whatever, wherever I could hear anything chorus going on. And it seemed to impress them, but uh, nobody said anything much. In fact, it went on for several weeks like this rehearsing, and nobody ever said, well, you're in the band. I just kind of assumed I was. Uh, they never told me I was in, and I never ever signed a contract. <laughs> it was a very loose sort of setup, really. But um, it, it soon became apparent that they were pretty slick guys, and they knew what they were doing. I mean, it was very organized. Pete Dello kind of almost conducted us. You know, he'd have his music stand, and um, everything was, all the chord sheets were written out, and lyrics and that, and we'd sit there and... It was very structured and ordered. It worked really well. I, I fitted in and really enjoyed working with them. And the first single that yeah. you were on was the second Honeybus single, Do I Figure in oh, Your right. Life? Yeah, um, they'd already had Delighted to See You. But what happened was we had a break in rehearsals for a week or two, and Pete Dello had gone over to Germany. I uh, didn't know why at the time, but I later found out that he went to try and get a re reconciliation with his um, former German wife, which didn't happen. But when he came back, he'd, uh, he'd written um, this new song, which we started rehearsing, uh, which I loved. I mean, I threw in quite a few ideas with the vocals and arrangements. Then when we recorded it, of course, I was absolutely blown away when the uh, uh, London Symphony Orchestra's string quartet turned up and Peter had written all the arrangements. And they recorded it, and I sat there in the control room absolutely in awe. It was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, this was the real deal, you know. I mean, to see that played live was just wonderful. Yeah. Did, you, did you go out as a, a play live as a band in, in, in that early period? Well, we did do um, local clubs. There was one called Sibyllus right in Piccadilly Circus, down in the basement. Really nice club, actually. Um, was one story when we'd only just bought this old rust bucket of a, a van because we obviously needed a van to, if we were going to start gigging. And uh, Ray jumped out of this old comma van, it was, in front of these girls, sort of impressing them, and pushed the sliding door back, and it flew straight off the 
rails and clatters onto the pavement. <laughs> so it kind of destroyed our cool image a bit. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it was very rough and ready, you know. I mean, we were just a, a, a London band, you know, didn't have any money much. We just sort of got by and did what we could. But the music was great. I mean, Dello played piano. He had a little Wurlitzer piano as well. He used to use on stage, and he was a great guitarist. I mean, brilliantly guitarist. Uh, so, yeah, no, they were good days, actually. In fact, I think I probably enjoyed the gigs more uh, before we had Maggie. Yeah. So then the venues all changed. It was more universities and big concerts and stuff. But it was a bit less personal, really. Of some new friends knocking around with all those white people that make me nervous when the things they say cut me like a knife. Do I still figure in your life? Hey, now I hardly know your face. It's got a brand new look about it Hard to trace the tender way you look The way you smile To think that I once took you for my wife Do I still figure in your life? Do I still figure in your life? mentioned uh, I Can't Let Maggie Go, which almost defines Honeybus, or, or certainly the track people remember the, yeah. the most. Do you, do you remember Pete bringing it into the studio, and did you recognise what a brilliant song it was? Oh, yeah, it's one of those things that just seems to gel. First time he rehearsed it, he didn't even have the name Maggie. He'd just go, I can't let, da, 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 you know, I mean, he was just sort of winging it. By then, we'd got into it, we knew sort of the setup, we knew the sort of arrangements and the way Pete did things, and we all just fitted in, really. It gradually kind of knocked it into shape, but I mean, it certainly had a buzz about it. I mean, there was, we were really on a, 
a role by that time. You know, there was a good energy coming from the band, and uh, the song itself just seemed to encapsulate the whole mood. It was really happy and and great. And it, as I say, we didn't have any any money to hype the thing in those days. I mean, it literally was picked up by John Peel mm. on um, Top Gear program and David Simons on BBC. But, you know, a lot of the DJs just literally picked it up and played it, or the producers liked it. I mean, you know, it, it went on its own, really. Yeah. But uh, no, it happened, and you couldn't put a radio on without it. it was being played. It was just played constantly. Uh, did you play many sort of TV shows and stuff? Yeah, we did Top of the Pops. We did uh, we did a couple of repeats on that. I think um, there was a new program out on a Sunday called Color Me Pop, which was uh. how the television was just sort of coming in at that time. And we did several songs on that. I can't remember about four or five songs we did on that program. But as far as I know, there's no footage left. Uh, they destroyed all the videotapes, uh, which what ha- happened in those days, uh, you know, stuff that they didn't think was particularly relevant. They just record over. So there's very little. Well, it happened to the Beatles. Yeah, well, it happened to a lot of people, I suppose, but um, very little footage. So there was a Dutch company that did a, a TV program on the band, oh, probably about 2004, 2005, and they managed to find some footage of us when we were in Amsterdam, uh, not playing, but just uh, mucking about on a boat. Uh, the, the program's called Single Luck. It was a program about one-hit wonders. But that's the only footage I've seen of the band when we... Uh, I think Jim was with us by then, so uh, it would be post-Dello. Yeah, but... Uh, oh, yeah, we did, did a lot of shows. We did a lot of um, BBC Radio Live programs as well you know the BBC had these live kind of like concert studios where it was like a small auditorium with a small audience and you'd literally go out on stage and perform but it was recorded live so uh did quite a few of those lunchtime ones but uh, made the Vale studio uh in London and there was one at Charing Cross as well and of course BBC Portland Street so there was quite a few we did. Let 
Was it the success or the touring of I Can't Let Maggie Go that meant that Pete Dello thought that it just wasn't for him? Well, yes. I mean, uh, he he had had a collapsed lung the year before without, I mean, unknown to me. It never really was his thing. I, he never really enjoyed the performance. Certainly not at the level we were at now with the audiences and the pressure. He didn't like all the travelling in the van, you know, and up and down the M1. We were playing, you know, Whitby and then Haverford West and all over the place. And, it, you know, you basically you just spend hours and hours driving. And he really didn't want to do that. It's just the way he did it, which was rather uh, upsetting. It's left its scars for years, really, because he never said anything to us. I mean, we literally just called into the office by... Sorry, Noon, the manager, and he said, Pete's left. I mean, he never told us, never gave us any warning. Yeah. And we said, what do you mean left? You know, well, he's, he's gone. He's left the band. But um, what? How, how do you mean? <laughs> and not, he hadn't just left. I mean, he actively refused to cooperate with uh, anything we did. Desperately needed a follow-up single. And we'd already got Francoise which if you've got the anthology, you've probably heard that. Uh, it was a BBC recording, but it was quite respectable. And we wanted to put that out. And he said, absolutely no, the song is frozen. I've got somebody else uh, lined up for that. So yeah. something went really cold and we had no idea why. Uh, and Terry Noon, our manager, was Pete's best friend. So he sided with Pete all the time. And from that moment, Terry didn't really get us any gigs. He just let it all slide, really, and just encouraged us to um, go our separate ways. I mean, hence the song I wrote years later called The Man in the Office, because he literally did say, well, you can carry on prostituting the name of Honeybus, or you can quit while you're ahead. And uh, I, that always stuck with me, to just to, to thought of going on, carrying on gigging, as a band, was prostituting the name. You know, I don't know where the hell he got that from, but he also put lots of, well, I say lots of, he did a, a, a newspaper um, statement saying that Honey Bus are finished without Pete Dello, which was totally negative. I mean, we were still recording Story Album at that time. We'd got Jim Kelly in. So he, he didn't help our cause at all. Uh, I mean, that's really why 
the band ended the way it did because the management was almost contrary. You know, I mean, he wasn't helping. He was doing everything he could to scupper the band, in my view. Mm. So it was a bit of a weird scene. But anyway, we carried on. We we got the story album finished. Pete, uh, um, Ray, Ray Kane and I, Ray did most of it, but I mean, I did a couple of songs. But we got it out, but there was no no promotion. There was no effort put into promoting it from the management side. So the heart had gone by then. We just gave up, really. Which is a great shame, because the album did get out there, and a lot of people heard it, and Years later, it was up in um, Mojo magazine as one of the best albums to come out of the 70s. So, you know, it did make its mark, but it didn't certainly didn't get any help from uh, our management.
so many tracks off that story album that have got their own life, really. A, a, a song that I'm very familiar with um, is Under the Silent Tree, which is yeah. kind of on a lot of psychedelic compilations now. Yeah, yeah, one of my favourites. That was sung by Jim Kelly, actually, on the, on the track. Is that that Mellotron sound on Under the Silent Tree that I can hear? That's it, yeah. Yeah, the, the beloved Mellotron, my God. We used to hump that in and out of the van. I mean, have you ever seen a Mellotron? I mean, they're massive, <laughs> and they weighed an absolute tonne. But there wasn't any synthesizers then. You know, I mean, the Mellotron was like a massive breakthrough where you could actually have the sound of strings and trumpets stage, which was brilliant. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the band that was most famous for it was called Moody Blues. I mean, they had two Mellotrons on stage. But, I mean, one for us was a headache. I mean, our road manager spent half the evening trying to fix the damn thing. <laughs> was the uh, tapes, that was like spool tapes, and they were on springs and traveling in the van you know half of them would come unhooked so it'd be a massive job to get the thing working <laughs> uh, great days the guys these days don't realize how easy they've got it with with electronic music
the, the, the one we did put out was um, it's Girl of Independent Means, wasn't it? Uh, but that was more in the times we were doing the Holland Holland TV shows. I mean, we got hits in Holland. We got three hits in Holland. I didn't even know about. I was never told that we had hits in Holland <laughs> until much later when I did one of these interviews with a guy called Case de Klerk, who runs Radio Riederkirk in in Holland. And he said, oh, yes, Colin, you had three hits. <laughs> so did we. Again, that's what we were up against. Just going back to Girl of Independent Means, that's got a bit of a... It's like the riff predates Blockbuster and Gene Genie, in a way, but on acoustic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has been um, compared to the Hollies, really, as well. The sort of sound of the harmonies are kind of got that sort of feel to it. The guitar, like, gang, 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 you know, I mean, that was so old hat. I mean, Ray stole that so many records have had that on as an intro but you know it worked we put our own stamp on it trumpets and that and i mean it, it was quite a bright single but it, it didn't uh, chart in the uk but it, it made the charts in holland and one or two european countries as far as i know Oh, what I'm 
So after Story, you worked on your solo album, March Hare. Were you accumulating a lot of material in, in that period? Um, I guess kind of like the George Harrison sort of syndrome where I, you know, I did have songs, but they weren't deemed strong enough really to go on the albums or singles with the band. But when I was given the go-ahead to do March Hare, um, yeah, I pulled a few out, that, some that I'd had for a while, for Where Have You Been? I'd written originally as the folk version, uh, which is, I'm glad to say, you put that down on your list as the Honeybus version rather than the mm. rock version. I mean, I needed another rock song for March Hare. There was a lot of kind of folky, lyrical ones, and I needed something a bit harder. So we just started playing around with For Where Have You Been? Uh, and I came up with the, the bass riff and um, Bill Bremner came in and sort of backed it up and um, the, it just kind of took on a whole new life, you know, so it's the same song, but it's a completely different version of it. Yes. Uh, which a lot of people I know who have heard March Hare and that thought that was the definitive version. They didn't hear the Honeybus version, which actually was preceded it, but um, it wasn't... Um, known until the um, anthology album which was 202 so it was many years later for where have you been that that's uh, the honeybus version predates yeah that's right yeah yeah well i originally wrote it like that i wrote it as a sort of finger style acoustic uh guitar uh, um song you know it was more of a sort of uh woodstock come glastonbury sort of thing i mean like a uh, new day on march here as well i wrote it glastonbury festival yeah. and uh, you know we, we were getting that kind of west coast sort of um woodstocky feel going in a couple of the songs um well, that version of for where have you been i would say puts in that sort of bag yeah
itself there's, there's some, I mean you could pick so many tracks from that album because it really is such, such a great album and, and, and revered now can you tell me about Alice uh, the, the song is there a bit of a poem Alice well yeah. It's, um, well yeah again that has been likened to sort of ELO or Paul McCartney I mean it's a song inspired by Alice in Wonderland pretty obvious by the lyrics I suppose but um, I don't know you know you just get these ideas for songs they come at you and then you get the musicians together and, and play through and as soon as you put the piano on and guitar licks and, and ideas come in, it, it takes on a life of its own. I mean, I wanted some kind of brass uh, and we had a fixer by the name of Johnny Watson and he was the fixer for all our instruments. So uh, he said, oh, I'll do that one. So he played it on trombone. Mm. So it has, it, again, it just took on its own sort of life. It's an interesting track and it, I think one of the criticisms of the album at the beginning was that there were so many different genres on it that nobody could really put it in a pigeonhole, you know. But uh, over the years, that seems to have turned around into, you know, like you say, it's um, uh, made it more interesting overall as an album.
in terms of those different styles, a shift is Bloodshot Eyes. It's got a bit of a country influence, it seems, or a bit of a Dylan. Well, there's a lot of Dylan, yeah, sort of floating around in my brain at that time. I mean, Underground Girl, but Bloodshot Eyes, yeah, was kind of more of an orchestrated Dylan, wasn't it? Yeah. I wrote the string arrangement and the uh, French horns, and I wasn't, you know, a writer or arranger, really. It was only working with Pete Dello. Um, made me think, well, probably I'll do that. So I sat down and wrote the dots out, worked out the parts, and it happened, which was quite a feeling, a sense of achievement, really. But I've just recently had uh, March Hare remastered, and um, Bloodshot Eyes particularly, well, it's on the new album, um, Mm. well, The Benefit of Mr. K, isn't it? It's on there, and the, the remastered version really is, you can hear the horns so much better and mm. it's just a much better sound one of my friends heard it he thought it was a complete remix he said wow that is so much better but um yeah no it's a good track so it's an interesting track really Bloodshot eyes Trying to make me stay I'll give you one And only one chance To say What you wanna say It's just you and your bloodshot eyes Wanna say, 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 say,
the space on that record to have tracks that maybe just didn't seem to fit in the Honeybus mold, like Find Me, but yeah. equally as strong, if not better, in that it's kind of a very ref- a reflective song. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I didn't really get yeah the space, as you say, to, to put those kind of songs in, so they were just me doing my thing. Um, interesting story about that was that I was recording it at, back at Central Sound Studios, which was my friend Freddie was the engineer there, and I thought it would be nice to have a background of C playing, and he had this old BBC vinyl LP of water sounds. You know, he had crash waves crashing, etc. So we set that running, and I started playing the song about two verses in the C track finished and the next track was a dripping tap. So you've got this sort of bloop, bloop going on. So we had to kind of re-cut and paste the, the C in through the rest of the track, which was quite funny, really. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a nice track. Um, as you say, it's quite wistful. But there's only literally acoustic guitar on my voice mm. and uh, Pete Dello put the piano on. Um, that's it. There's no bass on it, nothing on it. So just two instruments. Seventy-one period. It, it seems like the the divide between Honeybus, what your material is, and and with Pete involved, was seemed quite blurred. You seem to be all working together again. Well, yes and no. He gave us this cold shoulder, and we we struggled to get the story out. And then uh, a year or so later, he decided he wanted to come back and do another album. And to be honest. I don't know why we were so sort of um, passive 
about it really you know we just let pete simply do exactly what he wanted i mean literally we had gigs cancelled because he had a violin lesson and that sort of thing when he was in the band gigging mm. you know i mean there was tremendous push pull going on and he would just he kept himself so aloof which was a great shame but anyway yeah he did come back and we did the recital album of course which was post shall we say i think it was after march hair or around about the same yeah. time anyway it was 72 73 but then of course warner brothers there was a lot of change in the scene, in the music scene then. Um, Warner Brothers had okayed the album uh, recital, but by the time we'd produced it, um, the A&R team that had agreed it had moved on or been sacked, and uh, the new people that were in weren't interested, so it just got shelved. Um, I mean, Warner Brothers just really folded up at that point. I think they sacked everybody. So there were a lot of changes going on. The whole music scene was changing. I mean, you'd got uh, all sorts of things coming, rhythm and blues, and you know, it, it moved on very quickly. So the honey bus thing was, although it seems timeless now, it, it didn't seem to fit in at that point. So we uh, we all just yeah. moved on, really, like you do. And there's some great tracks on that recital album. Since uh, Hanky Panky in Spain have reissued it as a vinyl, what, last year, I think. Um, yeah, we've all listened to it again. And um, again, the remastered version is, is nice. There are some, some nice tracks on it, yeah. Yeah, but The Lady's Not For Burning. That's right, yeah. I'm surprised you picked that one up. It's, um, it's an odd track, isn't it? I mean, I was li- listening to it, and you think, well, what's that all about? The Lady's Not For Burning. But if you listen to the lyrics... It's clearly about witchcraft, you know. Mm. She has bewitched me. Uh, I do not know if I'm a prince or a toad. And if you pick up the word necromantic, it relates to witchcraft and black magic, especially, I looked it up in the dictionary, especially the supposed practice of communicating with the dead. Mm. (laughs) So that's really where Della was at. So, again, you know, it's an interesting fact, but um, if you listen to the lyrics, it's... uh, yeah, it's even more interesting, really. Yeah. She loves to be kissed in the midst of the night by the light of the silvery moon. Burning. No, 
says that she needs me, she says that she loves me, she says that I cannot deny. song that seemed to fall through the cracks i think a release where you worked with pete and it, it feels almost like a honey bus tracking all, all but name but released as a, a solo single and that's didn't i tell you i mean that's a that's a great song great production yeah well i, I say i did the arrangement for that uh pete dello's on it as the producer i think he probably oversaw the playing and the recording of the drink section but yeah that was um my own song um I, I wish i'd have a chance to do it again actually i'd probably do it a bit differently but um yeah just a one-off really yeah that was warner brothers wasn't it that one that, that came out on warner brothers didn't i tell you yeah tell you Someday soon you'd be down on the ground Feeling lost and double-crossed and down Didn't I make myself clear Didn't I tell Didn't I make it unmistakably plain that you were wrong? But you were deaf and dumb and blind, couldn't hear my song. Now you're looking back at me. Didn't I tell?
did not tell Because that was the same label which should have released Recital. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there was an interesting track on the B-side of that, uh, Seek Night in the Wide World. I actually didn't do the lyrics to that. There was a guy called uh, William Ray presenting me with those lyrics, and I wrote the song, but um, for some reason, I don't think his name got on the credits. I don't know why. It's just some nice guitar work. Pete Della did some great guitar work on some of those tracks as did Bill Brunner. Faces looking from a window Upon a poor and narrow street Flowers clinging to a white wall I see, I see to ask me Small room to can see. 
So was it just issues with the Warner Brothers record label that that meant that Honeybus petered out, and and did you did you just eventually kind of leave the industry? Well, yes, yeah. Um, didn't I tell you it was seventy two? About the same year as March Hare, really close to. Um, well, I mean, they just went out, and that was it. There was no radio, there was no promotion. We didn't get gigs or any interest back. Nothing came back, so we just walked away. Really, uh, the interesting thing is, of course, that you know, many many years later, I go to Spain. I think it was two o two. The anthology was out, and. Um, created this sort of surge resurgence of interest and Pete was invited to do a, a festival in in Spain in Galicia and he was a bit uh, well unsure because he hadn't performed for years I mean I'd still been performing but uh, I went and backed him up and uh, we had a fantastic experience out there and unbeknown to me I mean people were coming up queuing for autographs with copies of March Hare uh, not just Honeybus. So uh, that was a complete mind blow for me. I had no idea and anybody had heard it, but it clearly had gone out there. See for Miles had done a reissue after the Penny Farthing one in the 80s. Um, and clearly it had been marketed in Europe. Um, I did actually phone Colin Miles up once, who see for Miles Records, and so it didn't sell any con. It didn't sell. <laughs> so I'm standing in Spain with people queuing hmm. with my album, and it didn't sell any. Yeah. Hmm. That's why. <laughs> Was it another sort of yeah. thirty years before you got recording again? After that festival in 2002, I mean, I was so blown away. I it kind of fired me to, to get recording again. I thought, wow, you know, there's a lot of people out there who really dig Honey Bus. And so that did inspire me. Yeah, I did um, I did an album called Free Together, which I kind of let it go out of print now because there was a couple of good songs on it, but it was really an experimental album. Uh, I think the following year, 205, I did Like a River. Mm. And that was more on track, really. Um, there was just lots of sort of odd, oddball tracks on, on the other one, but I've managed to pull pull out free together uh, on the on the recent album for the benefit. And um, there is one other nice track, "Time to Deal with You," which was on Big Hair, that was originally on Free Together. And there is another one which um, "Just the Way You Love Me," which I really like, which I haven't actually pulled back yet but I will put it out again on on something it's almost a single it's a really nice song but it's never had any any uh, exposure at all but yeah so from that Valley Pop Festival it really inspired me to to get back and start recording again and once I got Like a River out I got a trip to Tokyo uh, there was a, a guy in Tokyo Hiroshi Kyus who ran Airmail Records and he invited me to do a trip in t- Tokyo. So I took Duncan Maitland and Johnny Wig. Uh, three of us went out there and uh, we had a really nice trip to Tokyo. Awesome place. I mean, they were there 30 years in the future, you know. Hmm. Just incredible. So, yeah, I mean, a lot happened after that festival, really. I got the albums out and we did a tour of Spain as well. We did Barcelona, oh, Madrid. We did all over with Hanky Panky Records they were another 
so there were a couple of lawyers who were in the audience that fell upon and they had this longing to start a record company and reissue some classic albums, you know, and uh, Pete Dello's Into Your Ears and March Hare were the first two albums they put out. Yeah. So on the back of that, we did another tour. Uh, it was great. Really good. So, yeah, it kicked a bit more life up into it. Yeah. Holding on to the past Only brings you pain Cause nothing lasts Half as long as you want it to Cause life moves on On and on Like a river Yeah, life goes on Ever on Like a river Golden friends From the past Slowly slip away Just blink your eye And sunny days Are yesterday Cause life moves on On and on Like a river Yeah, life goes on Ever on Like a river
Life goes on, on and on, like a river. Yeah, life moves on, ever on, like a river. Holding hands with today is all we have. Cause nothing's real No matter what you feel It's gonna pass away And life moves on On and on Like a river Yeah, life goes on Ever on Like a river Two thousand five, two thousand six. You recorded the Down from Pittsmore EP. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, well, that was Duncan Maitland and I. The story of that is on the Spanish trip. If you read the, the notes on the back of the sleeve, uh, Andy Morton was with us, and he he did the sleeve design of that. But he also plays drums and guitar. But uh, he handed me a CD of old BBC tracks uh, of Honeybus. And on there was Incredibly Bad and um, Follow the Plan, which I'd absolutely, totally forgotten all about. And when I heard them, I thought, we've just got to record these again because they were such nice songs. But unfortunately, the recording quality was just such that you couldn't put it out like that. It was all distorted. And um, so I don't know where the tapes came from. There might have been somebody recorded the radio on an old, tape recorder, you know. Iñaki Obazua of Hanky Panky Records, who's in Bilbao, Spain, he still wants to put out an album, a vinyl of Honeybus BBC tracks, and he's looking around for tracks, particularly uh, that one, incredibly bad, which of a good enough quality to put out, but uh, we haven't found any as yet. So anyway, that, that inspired me to uh, re-record it. Kersher and, and Ray Kane had a real, real vibe about the way they played. They injected so much life into a track, particularly Pete Kirsch. He wasn't just a good drummer. I mean, he had a great sensitive feel for what the song was about. And it just, it just lifted it so much. You know, I mean, I've, I've done it with Rory Doyle, who was a great uh, drummer in, in Dublin. He did a great job. But in comparison to the, the original Honeybus track, it's quite flat. Oh, no. 
feelings will bloom But she couldn't find The way Of course, 
that's when Man in the Office dropped in because I'd had this conversation with the guy in Holland who told me, well, actually, you had three hits in Holland, Colin, you know. So I I kind of realized that um, what had been going on in the office was, you know, they weren't really communicating what was actually happening. We were being told one thing. Just while I was doing that uh, down from Pittsford, the track came in. I just did the EP. Uh, it's, it was quite successful, really. It's a nice EP. So I'm proud of that one. The man in the office Have the strings of communication He didn't let us know Of your love Of the way that you cared Told us we were done That we would prostitute the name To carry on So that we were Feeling bad Feeling so sad So we let it go We went our separate ways And we didn't even know But the universe will show our hands For our band We could have made it brighter We could have made it brighter Made the world a little harder Made the world a little harder But the man in the office said no He never told us he wanted so now we get yeah. basically up to date with our penultimate track, The Way, which is for the benefit of Mr. K. That's right, yeah. Well, that's just one that came in quite recently. It's a reference back to Silent Tree, which is a reference to meditation, which is a reference to the sort of our spiritual path, which Ray Kane, Pete Dello, and myself were on for several years really attended school of meditation in london and studied hindu philosophy and um latterly buddhism and yeah it's just a track really to the way it's it's just um the spiritual way there are four ways the way of devotion the way of action and the way of the householder which is kind of a bit of both um, so that's kind of just my contribution to that. Really. That's what the song's about, in case you couldn't make any sense of it. And the album title, is that a reference to Jim Kelly then? Well, yeah, I, after my trip to Dundee in February uh, this year, um, I met finally met uh, Pat Kelly, Nim, uh, Jim's nephew, and several of Jim's old bandmates. They had put a benefit concert together for Jim because... In his latter years, he'd become quite a serious alcoholic and he just was completely losing it. So they put a benefit concert together and they called it for the benefit of Mr. K and they showed me their poster and lots of photos they had with him. Having met them, I mean, I only went up there just to sort of touch base and say hello, but having met them, I felt that something needed to be put out in Jim's memory because they all held him in such high regard. He was such a great player, great singer, 
I mean, his voice on Under the Silent Tree and several of the Honeybus tracks uh, just rings out. And, it, you know, the version on benefit of um, Black Morning Band, I mean, the chorus and that, mm-hmm. you can hear his voice absolutely shining out. And that's his guitar. Um, he, he was he was a great player and a great guy. And it's just so sad that he, I mean, we all went down in a trough after the 60s. I mean, I too, we all kind of, came back to Civvy Street with a bump, you know, after being in big hotels and TV shows, etc. It's quite a quite a, a fall to make, but uh, some of us survived it better than others. But poor Jim, unfortunately, took to drink. And um, he, he fell over one evening, I think, when he was drunk and cracked his head and he had a brain hemorrhage, which eventually killed him, which is very sad. So that that's what inspired me to do the album, really, just to put something out uh, in his memory as a memorial. And uh, we've found some nice archive photos, and I've put you know lots of the tracks on there that he sang on, including his um, single "Mary Mary," and of course we've got my favourite, which is um, Reverend Richard Bailey. Yeah, so yeah, it's uh, that's the most recent one to go out. Whether I'll do any more, who knows, Jason? I don't know. Maybe. I'm not dead yet. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
So before we go, Colin, we, we have an, another track off uh, Big Hair, uh, the, the album that you released uh, about two years ago, and uh, a lovely way to close. It will be forever. Do you want to tell us about that track? Um, having gone through marriage breakups and divorces and, you know, sort of low times, um, I reconnected with um, uh, my former teenage girlfriend Brenda who had good sense not to marry me at the time and married someone else 50 years later we we hooked up again and uh we're now got married again it just is a song that came in on that and it just felt like well this will be forever you know (laughs) so Hmm. that's kind of where the lyrics came from to that one it's really nice yeah Um, very happy at the moment i'm very lucky and very happy and count myself very fortunate just before we play it will be forever other than to say thank you so much for your yeah. time colin it's much appreciated no in, in terms of getting some of your more recent albums i think there's a there's a website colinhair.herenow.com well that's just a forum where you can actually hear the records you can hear the tracks right if you want to buy anything then if you go to colin Hare facebook page um, just message me, befriend me, uh, and I'll uh, and I can uh, sort it out from there. We can do it from the Facebook page. Um, but I have put the here now is 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 a page that goes up, and you can actually listen to uh, for the benefit. I think Big Hair's up there as well, and March Hair. I've recently done a remaster of, so they will eventually will be up there. Yeah, that's that's way to contact really. Yeah. Okay. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.